My name is Austin. I'm actually I live in New York now. My name is Jessica. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. My name is Mary. Do you think it's okay for corporations to make money from for-profit charter schools? If yes, why? I would say no. I don't think it's okay. No, not okay. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Educated Sisters Fighting Education Ignorance. That's Kimberly Kay. And that's Melissa Marie. We welcome you back. Uh, sorry, this uh, episode is coming out a little later than we wanted to, but that's because I actually couldn't talk at all for almost a solid week. And uh, if I sound a little nasally, it's not my equipment. It just actually is me. And you'll notice in the actual interview that um, when we recorded that with Dr. Chris Torres about schools of choice, uh, I'm sorry, charter schools, um, it's just me. So KK was too It's sick. just her. Well, in truth, we tried it with both of us and something went wrong. And so then we had to redo it. And by that time, I couldn't speak. It's the lovely world of podcasting. And that's just that's the way it goes. So what's going on with you this week, Mimi? Um, we are just inches and inches deep in snow in our area, which has caused lots of snow days for the kids in um, the local school districts, um, which they love, but and educators think they love until they get to the end of a unit and then have to try to um, ensure that they've taught yeah that that students you know have learned what they needed to learn so um that creeps up after these series of 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 times away from school so that's an interesting thing that's an interesting thing to think about though is how flexible um teachers educators have to be want to be need to be that's a good thing to talk about maybe with some actual teachers and get some feedback from get some feedback from them at some point. Um, I know, I remember having uh, teachers who would not deviate from the syllabus no matter Mm -hmm. what. And then other teachers for my own personality, learning personality, that were just way too loose, way too loose. And I would walk into class and I would feel like I was in what happens to me when I go into a Joanne Fabrics or um, a Home Depot and I'd, get completely overwhelmed. I, you know, I went in for like one thing and I end up sometimes leaving without getting anything because my brain is on complete overload. I think that you just have to be responsive to your students. And um, if they need some flexibility, you got to learn to practice that. But that's exactly why I talked to my daughter out of, you know, pursuing certain career aspirations because I know she struggles with flexibility and I want her to learn that but there are certain careers that just um, don't lend themselves to that. So we just have to keep that in oh. mind and think about oh, ourselves. Oh, without a doubt. But, but we also have to teach our student. We also have to teach our kids and our students um, some of those uh, what they're calling soft skills and um, really learn to be to, to be flexible. Um, and um, you know, so there are some things you can control and some things you can't. So we just have to ease them into that. There's a really good uh, assessment. Uh, that's available um, from a company that's done tons and tons of research, tons and tons of research on um, uh, learning about your own working style. 
which mm. is very different from your intellect and very different mm -hmm. from your personality. You should tweet that out. I should tweet that out. Um, it's called the Colby assessment, K-O-L-B-E. Oh. And you can take an assessment to find out how you like to work best. And um, there is a youth version of it, if uh, especially for educators or parents who are struggling with uh, a particular child or student. They can take this assessment, you know, the bare bones um, version of it. And get some idea of how that child likes to work and why, especially as a parent, they may seem like an alien from another planet when it comes to uh, performing tasks or doing work. It's really, really fascinating. And the woman who uh, created the assessment, her father was um, is known for basically bringing the IQ test out of academia only and into the mainstream, but she was born severely dyslexic. And so all of his ways of assessment really did no good for her. And so she's dedicated her life to helping people who think that they do not fit into a narrow, very narrow category, um, figure out who they are, how they like to work and, and uh, create the ultimate success for themselves. I love, love, love that work. I and I use really it a lot important. in my own business. What's that? Yeah. I think it's really important to just use different points of evidence when you're, you know, when you're making decisions. And that sounds like one that can be layered on top of other ways to, to think Absolutely. about those things. So yeah, great. yeah. No, I'll totally tweet it out, um, a, a link to that. And uh, I encourage anyone who's interested in why they feel frustrated when it comes to performing tasks or approaching a project to uh, take a look at it. It's really, really cool. What else is going on? Well, on we don't have any snow here. Well, on a different note, we are excited to have you coming home for um, a couple of days so that you can I be face-to-face -face with our interns and do some recording all together. That will be really exciting. I hope they don't get too afraid that I'm coming. <laughs> they only met you virtually. Being, so I know, but being seeing me at the other end of a video camera <laughs> is very different than me in person. I think they'll be very excited. I think they'll be excited. We'll have to make sure they know because I think that was a recent development. So we'll have to inform them this Thursday. Yeah, I'm not sure them. they know. Shh. They don't. Maybe they I should just maybe I should just show up and, and freak them out. No. Of course, now we're done because no. they're going to listen to this. Yep, they are. And edit it. So that's that's an that's a no. That's a no. Yeah. As great a conversation as we have with our experts who come on to our podcast graciously come on to our podcast. Um, we really are trying to highlight things that we think other people might be interested in hearing about or learn a little bit more about. But we also, we would love our audience's feedback on um, how, where, why you're hearing what you're hearing. What more, what do you want to hear more about? Do you have um, a different perspective? And uh, you guys out there can do that by uh, going to our Twitter account at Educated Pod, letting us know what you think, um, and giving us some ideas to to bring back to you with further information. Absolutely. We want to be responsive and we want to continue to demystify what we think is happening out there. So um, we'd love your ideas and we'll find the people. We'll find the peoples. We find, if you got somebody, we can, we'd love to hear about that too. That too. Or if you're an expert in an education field. And want to represent. Uh, 
and want to represent, let us know that <laughs> as well. Yep. Because we need all y'all's help. All right? all right? Okay. When we come back, Dr. Chris Torres with my lovely sister. Charter Amy. schools. Charter schools. Hey there, educated peeps. Do us a favor, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher. And while you're at it, head over to Twitter and follow us at Pod. We want to know what you're up to in the world of education. We want to know some of your best stories about education. We want to know what you want to hear about on our pod, Educated Sisters Fighting Education Ignorance. Fight the fight with us. Good afternoon, Dr. Torres. Thanks for being with us to talk to us a little bit more about charter schools. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Thank you. Before we get too far, I would love for our audience to hear a little bit more about um, who you are and what you do that makes you one of our experts on charter schools. Sure. Hi. Uh, so I'm Chris Torres, an assistant professor here at, in the Department of K-12 Educational Administration. I'm in the College of Ed at Michigan State. I study charter schools, um, specifically how charter schools and school choice are kind of shaping public education throughout the country, and in particular, how they're affecting sort of the practices and careers of teachers and school leaders in K-12 education. Um, so um, how are, how are uh, teachers and principals moving into and out of charter schools? How are they making some of those decisions? and uh, and to what effect, and um, so that that's just a snapshot of some of the research I do. Um, yeah. Thank you. And so you mentioned um, charter schools as being one of those choices that parents can make. So right. we're going to focus mostly on charter schools. We know there are other opportunities out there for parents to make a selection and choose. But right. if our listeners are hearing about charter schools down the street or or they're starting to make up make that decision for their children what how would you define a charter school yeah yeah and i think i think that uh, starting at that at that point of choice where um i think what makes charters and other school choice options compelling is this idea that to, to certain peoples that um you're providing different choices other than the neighborhood school that you're zoned to and so if you've got, a, if you're a zone somewhere where you don't like the option, um, pe people find it compelling to say, well, you can go to this school or this school, and here's a charter school, here's a different kind of school, and you have that choice that you can make. So I think that's why some why charter schools are spreading and other choice options are spreading pretty rapidly here in Michigan and throughout the country. Um, and so a charter school, like you said, is one form of choice, right? So it Technically, it's defined as a, it's a public school in the sense that it's financed by public dollars. So um, every student they and family they recruit uh, brings per pupil funding a certain amount of money with them, and so that that helps you helps them build their budget, right? So the more students and families that choose you, the you're, you know the, those are the dollars that you bring in, um, and it's but um, it's also a private entity in the sense it's privately run in the sense that they're exempt from many of the rules and regulations that traditional uh, public schools are subject to. So, for example, principals don't have to adhere to collective bargaining agreements and things like that. So they can hire fire teachers without considering things like uh, due process or graduate credentials or union rules or anything like that. Um, and they have other freedoms that I could talk about if you're interested too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll get to some of those for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I guess um, even within that realm of charter schools, there might be different types of charter schools. Yeah. What do you see out there in the landscape of charter schools that might be important to know? Yeah, so uh, not it, it's really important to note that not every single charter school is the same, right? They all have different performance. They were created to sort of say, um, to, to start with, they were created to say, uh, hey, we need a choice option in this community. What should, what does our community need uh, to focus on? Um, and let's go open up a school that can meet that vision of what we think we need in our community. So that was like the traditional sense of like, what is a charter school? Why do we need a charter school? Um, that's that's really evolved. So you've got a few different types now. That that one was sort of an independently independent charter school. That's a standalone institution that has um, a board of trustees that oversees it, and they're authorized by um, they're authorized by an authorizing body that uh, um, allows them to open up. Right. So they have to submit their charter, which is an application, and the authorizer says, "Hey." Uh, this plan looks good. I think they'll do a good job. Let's let them open here. Uh, here's this facility. It gets complicated, mm-hmm. but that's the basic process. And here's a board of education, a board of trustees that helps the charter that recruits the principal, hires them, and allows them to manage the school. Right, um, and that's an independent charter school. And those were the earliest forms of charter schools. There's still many of those out there today. I think two thirds of charters in the country are standalones. Um, now you see more of these uh, educational management and charter management organizations, which are operate similarly to central offices in that they provide services to these schools, um, much like a district would, and they oversee um, sometimes as many as, as as few as two or three charter schools to as many as you know fifteen to twenty, um, and those uh, and, and those can take a couple of forms. One is nonprofit. So they're nonprofit organizations that provide services to these schools, and then there's for-profit organizations. And Michigan has uh, the highest percentage of for-profit charter management organizations in the country. Um, so there are those, um, and now you're seeing more cyber charter schools here in Michigan and in other places like Pennsylvania and Ohio, and those are, you know, full-time uh, students are online full-time in those. So those are just a few of the uh, different options. So you mentioned that the organization would fill out and complete an application or their charter, and then right. somebody would um, basically say that that it looked compelling enough, or it looked like there were they had enough of those the things that they needed to have together to run a school. Who yeah. would those bodies yeah. or those entities be that would yeah. um, give them the okay and, and maybe provide them some oversight? Yeah, that's a really good question, and the answer is that it varies state by state, and um, I believe, um, I'm not exactly sure the the different processes or how it works, but um, I think you apply to become an authorizer. In some cases, there in certain cities, there's only one authorizer. It could be the district. Um, so in Denver, for instance, a place that I, where I do some work, um, the district is the authorizer, and they... Um, they get applications for schools mm-hmm. from all kinds of different uh, places, and they they have a c- common criteria to say this is a good plan, and we should let them open a school. Um, and, and so, uh, 
you know, the, the, the authorizer ha obviously has to apply to, um, to become that body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in Michigan, um, there's something like 16 different authorizing bodies. Um, and that, it gets a little complicated mm -hmm. when there, there are that many different authorizers. Um, because, you know, if, for example, if you and I decided to submit a charter and, uh, you know, the first five authorizers said it wasn't, um, it wasn't a good plan, but then six was like, it was said, okay. Mm -hmm. And we were able to open up our school. You can see how, you know, you know, standards could differ and, um, you might, uh, depending on, you know, the authorizer, the plan that wouldn't necessarily have to be a great plan. So, um, so I think the question is why is that allowed to happen? And I think, uh, I think there are a few answers to that. I think there are some, if, if you go back to one of the theories that, um, charter schools is based on, it's, it's about a theory of competition. And so um, the, the idea behind this is that if you let a, a thousand flowers bloom, you just say, okay, let's, let's open up. And um, in theory, what's supposed to happen with charter schools is that they have a plan, they have their goals, and if they don't meet those goals within a certain period of time, three to five years or whatever it may be, that they, the authorizer says, hey, you're not meeting your goals that you said you're going to, we're going to close you. Okay. And so... Um, do so you see you, that happening, though? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> not really. Okay. They, they, I mean, they, their schools have been closed. It tends to be um, based on sort of viral media accounts that take, tend to take them down or financial mismanagement. But um, there isn't a lot of closure based on performance, to my understanding, um, both nationally and, and um, I'm still getting to know Michigan, but um, I think here in Michigan as well. Um you're, so you're not you're not seeing that happen as much as um, some people think mm -hmm. um, you should, and so you know the, to bear out that idea of competition, it's that so if we close the bad ones, only the good ones will remain, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you see some, um, the, you know, you see a bunch of critiques mm -hmm. of that of that theory as well. You know, if you're not closing the bad ones, well, what? <laughs> right. And also, um, you know. It, it, education, some people say education isn't a business. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to open a school and um, open a charter school and then uh, uh, have a bunch of families who are committed to that school and then to close it? And where do they go, right? Sure. That's years out of your child's life. Right. And then, you know, it's so there are some ethical implications there sure. that it's not, uh, you're not moving money around, you're moving families and you're moving. So, um, so that's one pushback to that theory. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, uh, another ethical issue that I have, that has been in, in the media, and mm -hmm. one of them is the, you know, a couple months ago, New York Times Magazine article that talked yeah. about for-profit charters, and they highlighted D Detroit specifically. And I know you do some research in some of the larger urban areas and what mm -hmm. they do with you know, what their charter systems, um, mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about how the, the for-profit charters, um, might create those, those ethical issues that were highlighted in that piece specifically. Yeah, it's a good question. So the, my understanding of that article was, um, that they were talking about how, um, the management organization who 
is charged with overseeing the school and providing them services. So the way it happens is that um, they, they, you know, the organization applies for a charter, they're granted a charter, and then the, the authorizer appoints a board of trustees to oversee the school. And then uh, the educational management organization goes back and says, we will contract out our services to you for X amount, a certain fee, right? Um, and, and so they're providing these management services that the board agrees to. And so that, I don't know how uh, widespread, you know, this practice is, but the example that they gave in that article was that um, the, the educational management or organization buys buildings for a couple hundred thousand dollars, leases it to the school for a couple of years, and then sells it to them for a few million dollars, right? And so there aren't any regulations regulations for the, um, barring them from doing that. So it raises the question of, you know, it's a for-profit company. <laughs> so obviously they're earning millions of dollars on that. And in that situation, the principal essentially had major problems with uh, paying back that money um, that was owed for the building, but was left with a decrepit facility and forced to say, should we fix the roof or should we, um, should we, spend on an instructional program right, right. <laughs> and so um you can you can see at least in that example the like the the tension between making a profit and managing the school right <laughs> um, again not i think more we need to understand more about sure. to what extent that stuff is occurring and everything sure. i'm not an expert on michigan specifically right. i'm just summarizing the ar argument that uh, or the example that i heard there of that tension but i do I do see some parents hoping that a charter school will fill a void yeah. for um, a void in a quality educational experience for their kids, right. and they, they go to that hoping for that. Yes. Would you say, how, how compelling is that research yeah. that says that, in fact, students are really learning at a high right. rate of achievement and success in, in charter schools? Right, right, right. So I think people looking at sort of outcomes, right, mm -hmm. in these schools are saying a couple of things. Some people think that if parents are satisfied, that's the outcome mm -hmm. that they should care about. Yeah. They say, well, they, they get to choose and they're satisfied. That's great. You know, with, what more do you need? Um, others would say, you know, like people that choose in general are tend to be more satisfied. If they have a choice, they tend to be more satisfied. But should they be satisfied is another question, right? And so um, in, in that sense, are they, you know, improving academic and outcomes um, relative to the schools that they're supposed to be competing with? Because mm -hmm. um, that stuff matters for long-term, you know, like, are they going to go to, are kids going to go to college? Are they going to have employment opportunities? Are they going to be, you know, doing well in terms of citizenship and all mm -hmm. this other, all these other things we care about, right? And so at least for the performance stuff, um, you know, nationally, charters are highly variable again, and they tend to do, you know, no better than traditional public schools, although there's a bunch of different analyses and everything. Here in Michigan, there's a highly publicized uh, report from 2013 from a group of researchers out of Stanford that showed um, that compared to comparable traditional public schools, charters were doing more, um, better in a statistical significantly, statistical significant way. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't say that right. But 
Um, some of the pushback you hear about that is that you have to understand that Michigan's achievement rates have fallen drastically over the last decade. So performance of charters and comparable schools or schools like them serving to similar demographics of students is just really low to start with. So it's, a, it's almost like with the least bad option kind of <laughs> argument. Um, and these, these schools tend to be, many of them are located in areas serving high proportions of low socioeconomic students and students of color. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's, you know, um, you know, that, uh, are, are they really mm -hmm. that much better mm -hmm. options? So the critics of that report say the margins are razor thin there. Right. Um, and there's a couple other studies out recently, uh, one on cyber charters, which have grown quite a bit here in Michigan, uh, in 2015, about one in 250 Michigan students were enrolled full time in a cyber charter. Um, and again, for-profit charters are estimated to be at about 80% of charters in Michigan, according to Gary Myron at Western Michigan. And so um, studies on that showed char cyber charters students perform significantly worse, like at a very high margin. Mm -hmm. um, those studies aren't here in Michigan, they're in you know Ohio and such, but um, uh, those, those studies are pretty, um, explicit in that they don't do so well. And the same group of Stanford researchers said that um, for-profit research for-profit schools tend to do worse than nonprofit schools or schools managed by nonprofit. Possibly for some of those same reasons you mentioned where they're having Possibly. to make a decision yeah. do we do we right. pay this in the face of maybe putting that, that money and right. that, that monetary resource into instruction or professional learning right. to grow the teachers right. that then right. impacts the students. And there are different incentives too. So, uh, you know, for not just the profit incentive, but, you know, some of the nonprofit. So I study the nonprofit charter management organizations in the Northeast. Um, and I've, I've worked in some and, and they tend to be um, highly, highly sort of mission focused and you know their their main incentive is academic growth and not to say that some of the for-profits here are not I don't right. know um so you know I don't want to I certainly but I, I can see how there might be there you know there could be tensions between how sure. where you put your money and how much of your money mm -hmm. do you put into certain things um that that could certainly that's certainly a hypothesis mm -hmm. that's out there yeah would you say so one of the platforms of this podcast is to try to, to to really think about how we as a whole community and society have to own some of the really disparaging mm -hmm. uh, factors that are out there that are pressing on our students to, yeah. to be successful. So would you say that, that charters are are closing or widening that, that gap that some of our students are experiencing in our schools? Right. Well, I think it's I think it's complicated. Um, I think it de it depends on a number it's of fair. things. That's yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just it's it's really hard to uh, without knowing this specific sure. context. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, based on the studies that are out there, um, it it's it's difficult. Um, I think some of the considerations are uh, one the accountability context. You know, are are charters being held accountable? Mm -hmm. um, are they? Is there a high bar for them to open? If we're asking, 
um, if we're if if they're being opened primarily in urban areas that you know Detroit, Flint, um, uh, you know Grand Rapids is like a third charter now. Uh, Flint and Detroit are like fifty percent charter. Um, are are those options a really better? Is there a decent bar for them opening so you're not just you know opening closing schools on people? Right. Um, and uh, are they are they really building any capacity within mm -hmm. the system mm -hmm. to be better? Are they mm -hmm. improving um, educator practice or anything? That that stuff is not very clear. Um, in terms of, um, you know, the theory of improvement of like competition is supposed to lift all boats, mm -hmm. right? Is mm -hmm. that, is that really happening? Are, you know, they, are they improving other mm -hmm. schools in the area? Um, and the evidence is really quite mixed and mm -hmm. not, not great, great to support that theory. So you, you mentioned earlier some, for some parents just having their child in a, you know, feeling, mm -hmm happy about being in a school and feeling comfortable and, you know, yeah. just feeling welcomed and that sense of belonging right. may in and of itself be the, 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 the one factor that parents look for. If, if you were to, to give any kind of parting words of wisdoms or things to, or things to, for people to think about when they hear about charters or they are seeking choice yeah. for their children, are there any other recommendations you have for them to just, of, of awareness? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think um, I think people really need to consider that um, you you know it's just not being a charter school doesn't mean necessarily mean it's a better school uh, if you have you know um, shiny marketing techniques and and or um, you know um, just the reputation of being associated with the word charter doesn't mean it's a necessarily a better school in terms of academic outcomes. So, you know, if you care about academic outcomes, you know, don't necessarily assume that they are going to do a whole lot better. Um, but I think, I think some of the school climate stuff is, you know, parents go in with their gut and, and figure out, you know, do I, does this feel like a safe, comfortable place for my student mm -hmm. for, you know, um, for, for my child <laughs> mm -hmm. and everything. And I think, yeah, I think people make decisions based on a number of things, mm -hmm. but, um, um, you know, I, I, I can't say what one way or another, what the right choice is for someone, mm -hmm. but, um, what I, what I can say is that sort of that dynamic has set up some, um, some interesting situations, uh, in terms of, um, you know, schools and districts really having to grapple with, um, shifting budgets and schools being sort of under enrolled and danger of closing. And so if we are going to impose these kind of choice programs, we're letting people switch around and all this other stuff and enrollment or dollars are following the child. What are the consequences of that? Mm -hmm. And as a parent, we're, um, implicated in all of this if, if, you know, if the larger changes that are taking place is disrupting, you know, these other systems in K-12, um, is, is that, a, is it really worth okay. that cost, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, uh, if they really don't perform all that much better, you know, what, mm -hmm. 
we've got to look at the the cost mm -hmm. there and um, and consider that you know um, there may be schools that have to close or have to grapple with their budgets mm -hmm. um, in ways that they they wouldn't have to if there weren't these programs right. potentially and so um, so I do think we have to be aware I guess is what I'm saying yeah. as parents not just of the, the, the choice of, you know, oh, I get to send my kid here and here, but mm -hmm. okay, what does that choice yeah. mean for the larger system, right? And for education in the state mm -hmm. of Michigan, um, I think there are a number of kind of dilemmas there mm -hmm. with, with that. So I think my, my last thought for us is um, there are, there's a lot of, issues of capital, right, in our mm -hmm. schools and um, access, I think. And sometimes I don't think families feel that they have access to some of that information, some of the information uh, that other families feel. Yeah. Would you, I would, I'm wondering if you also yeah. would just encourage any family or any parent to um, make that call and schedule that visit to go in and just walk around or, or ask certain questions so that you're getting answers that are, around meaningful pieces of what you want your child to experience. Yeah. Would you suggest that, I mean, any any family should feel comfortable doing that in a, for, in a school or with yeah. a school? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, um, again, I haven't been to many tr charters here in Michigan, but I think um, I think that is something that that folks should absolutely do, but, yeah. but that um, many charter schools that I've been in have been exceptional at doing that. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, um, you know, and I, and I think, I think that's part, part of that is that they're, they need to attract families sure. and keep kids. And, you know, that, that's certainly where studies of competition come yeah. in when you are competing for dollars, what are both the positives and the negatives of that? Right. Um, and, and, and is, is that making a meaningful difference in not just, getting people into the building, but is education getting better? Are people, are kids feeling safer? Are, mm -hmm. Does it really affect, you know, school improvement in general, in general, not just um, ability to attract families? Right, and, right. Um, and the, the research is definitely mixed around that, people making, investing more money in things like marketing than actually making you know, um, substantive improvements yeah. to their programs and things yeah. like that. So, um, not sure if I answered your question no, right I, there. I, I, no, absolutely. I just, I, again, I just want to, I want the, the knowledge that I'm hoping that we're bringing people to feel empowering yeah. so that they can, yeah. um, you know, feel like they have a deeper understanding of some of these things that are out there yeah. um, and not just presume or, or, or not let someone else you know, only own that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, you know, I, I can't fault. I, you know, I, I know parents in Michigan who send their kids to charter schools mm -hmm. and I, you know, I certainly, um, there are a lot of valid critiques out there of charter schools mm -hmm. and choice systems and everything. But when, when it comes right down to it and you're a parent and you, you know, you really believe that that school is the best one for you and your child, it's, you know, I, I, I would probably make the same decision if I thought the charter was the best option. Mm -hmm. So it's tough, it, you know, um, even for folks who are like sort of anti-charter, that, that is an argument that, you know, just resonates with any any individual, you know. Absolutely. We just want what's, I think, 
we all, I presume positive intentions, we all want what's best for right. our kids. Right, right. But but I think you're right. We need to be aware, you know, of our, how are our individual choices kind of um, shaping the larger system. Have so, an impact for sure. Yeah, yeah. So we all need to just be educated and aware of that, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I hope to get into more uh, of this uh, choice in schools, more of these issues around um, choosing Mm-hmm. And um, in an upcoming episodes with with some other um, people in the field as well. And I just want to thank you for thank this. You. Thanks for having double, me. Double, double, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. In a world with too few jokes and too few laughs, to the rescue comes Papa Ron. What did the painter say to the wall? One more crack like that, I'm going to plaster you.